0: If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is
1: Shiva Mozaverian, and I'm here today with Tiersa Bartullo, a doctoral prepared board certified dermatology and family nurse practitioner with Arizona Dermatology and Cosmetic Surgery in Phoenix to discuss what to expect when you're newly diagnosed with psoriasis and what questions or information you need to know to successfully manage your disease. Tierce's clinical expertise include treating a variety of skin diseases like psoriasis, eczema, rosacea, and more. She is currently a member of the National Academy of Dermatology Nurse Practitioners and the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. She previously spoke on Soundbites about managing scalp psoriasis in episode 154, which, if you haven't listened to yet, offers a lot of great tips. Welcome, Tirsa. It's so great to have you back again. So today we're here asking questions from the perspective of someone who's newly diagnosed with psoriasis. The questions could be those that someone could ask their own healthcare providers. So let's start with the biggest question. Why does psoriasis occur? And just what is psoriasis? Thank you. Thank you for having me back
2: again. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you all today. So the big question is, what is psoriasis and how does it occur? So let's start with what is psoriasis? We know that psoriasis is a chronic inflammatory skin condition that is highly characteristic. And what I mean by that is that when you see psoriasis, maybe one or two times, you can recognize it pretty quickly. So it's characterized by clearly defined red to salmon colored patches with a classic silvery white scale called a plaque on top of it. And this plaque is due to skin cells that are replicating too quickly. So skin cells on a person that doesn't have psoriasis normally shed about every three to four weeks. However, those who have psoriasis, their skin cells will actually shed every seven to 10 days. That's a remarkable difference those cells that rapidly build up, it leaves that classic ciliary scale that everyone is familiar with. So why does psoriasis occur? Well, psoriasis occurs due to several factors. The first thing that I like to tell my patients when they're newly diagnosed is I want to clarify to that patient that they did nothing wrong to acquire this condition. There is unfortunately a thought process out there that psoriasis is contagious, So we like to squash that right off the bat. So what I tell my patients is you did not catch this condition. This is not contagious. You did not get psoriasis because you touched someone with psoriasis or you had sex with someone with psoriasis or you went swimming in a public pool with someone with psoriasis. You did not get that for that reason. So why does it occur? So we know that there are several factors that play into it. The first factor is that it's due to an overactive immune system. Psoriasis is an immune mediated disease. When people hear the word immune system or autoimmune, they automatically assume that their immune system is too weak. But in fact, it's quite the opposite with psoriasis. Patients with psoriasis, their immune system is too active. So the second reason why someone may acquire psoriasis is because there may be a genetic predisposition. So, about a third of people diagnosed with psoriasis have a relative with psoriasis. And in fact, if both of your parents have psoriasis, your risk of getting psoriasis is about 50%. Another factor that plays into psoriasis is environmental factors that may trigger a psoriasis flare. Now, these environmental triggers don't cause psoriasis, but they can contribute to flares. Factors such as infections, specifically strep throat stress, climate changes, certain drugs, and trauma to the skin. All of these are factors that can play into the triggers, and we'll talk more about that later on.
1: And when you see someone for the first time, what can they expect will occur during that first appointment?
2: When I speak to a newly diagnosed psoriasis patient, I like to start by gauging the level of their knowledge. So level of their knowledge will help me direct that particular conversation. Some patients know a little bit and some patients know a lot about psoriasis. So first is I like to gauge that knowledge. Now, different topics of conversation includes, in my opinion, the first thing most important is education. Education on what psoriasis is. We will discuss what are the expectations of that patient, what treatments they've received, treatment preferences, and lastly, mental health is a big issue related to psoriasis. So we like to address all of these issues. Now, keep in mind that these are a lot of things that need to be discussed. It's not possible to discuss everything in one visit. So these conversations can be a little bit overwhelming for that patient, especially for newly diagnosed psoriasis. So follow-up appointments are really important, especially at the beginning, to ensure that the needs
1: of that patient are being met. And do you discuss what the most common forms of psoriasis are?
2: Yes, absolutely. So, the most common forms of psoriasis, there's about five of them, and that's how we categorize it. So, most patients will present with the most common type of psoriasis, which is plaque psoriasis. Plaque psoriasis, more people are familiar with that. This is the presentation that you see when you see commercials. So, if you pay attention to some of the commercials on TV, they will show a patient with plaque psoriasis. So that's the classic presentation. That's the patients that have those salmon-colored or red patches with that silvery scale. It's found mostly on the knees, the elbows, the extremities, the scalp. That's the presentation that most people are familiar with. But there are other types. So for example, there's another type of psoriasis called guttate psoriasis. So guttate psoriasis is more like small, pink, with a fine scale as opposed to like a thick scale. These lesions appear without warning. So it comes on suddenly. And it's usually because it follows an infection, specifically a strep infection, so a strep throat. You see it more in young adults and in children. So it's very shocking. It's very alarming to patients who get clotate psoriasis. So that would be the second type that more commonly seen. There's also inverse psoriasis. So inverse psoriasis is found in the skin folds such as under the breasts, the armpits, the genitalia, and sometimes on the crease of the buttocks. These lesions, unlike your classic plaque psoriasis, these lesions are actually very bright and they're very shiny. You don't really see much of a scale. This presentation also gets misdiagnosed often with like fungal infections, or inner trigo, or yeast infections, because it's found in the crease, and the genitalia, and in the breasts. So when they come to us, these patients have been already been treated with antifungal creams along those lines, but, but truly it's not a fungal infection, but it's more an inverse psoriasis. There's also pustular psoriasis, not as common as plaque or tape, but pustular psoriasis is mostly seen in adults. And that one is characterized as a yellowish blister or sometimes like a white blister, but those blisters are non-infectious. So if you were to break open one of those little blisters and you take a culture, it's actually non-infectious. And then those little blisters are actually surrounded by like that red classic skin of psoriasis. We see pustular psoriasis mostly on the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet, but sometimes it covers the whole body. And the last one is erythrodermic psoriasis, this is the least common of all the psoriatic presentations. And this is considered more a severe form of psoriasis. And it's characterized by like widespread fiery redness of the skin. And the skin is so inflamed that over time it starts to shed, but it doesn't just flake, it actually sheds in sheets. So this is actually considered a medical emergency and these type of patients need to be hospitalized.
1: Would appearance of psoriasis on skin of color look different?
2: Yes. So patients of color, whether they be African-American, Asian, or Latino or Hispanic descent, they can present with more of a darker grayish hue. You can still see that scale. That is pretty classic in all color types. But instead of seeing more like that salmon color or that red presentation, you'll see more like a dusky darker grayish presentation, but the locations are pretty similar. So again, your classic plaque psoriasis, you'll still see that in the elbows and knees, the scalp, but it does take on a little bit of a darker hue.
1: So you mentioned triggers earlier, such as certain medications and strep throat. Are there other triggers associated with psoriasis that can cause a flare of the disease?
2: Yes, absolutely. There are quite a few triggers out there that worsen psoriasis. And let me clarify, triggers don't cause psoriasis, but they do worsen psoriasis or contribute towards psoriasis. There are quite a few. And not everybody has these triggers. Part of the educational piece of psoriasis is that you have to kind of learn what your triggers are and try to avoid them as much as possible. But I would say the most common type of trigger is stress. And stress is inevitable. can't avoid it, right? Whether that be Stress from home, work, family stress. It's a part of life, but learning to manage that stress is key to reduce some of those flares. Other triggers could be a skin injury. So something like a sunburn or those people that are very itchy, because psoriasis is very itchy. If you're doing excessive scratching or picking, that will induce new psoriatic lesions. We mentioned infections like strep throat, but also certain medications can cause a flare. For example, lithium. So lithium is a mood stabilizing drug that has been known to cause a flare. Beta blockers. Beta blockers are drugs that we use to treat for cardiac conditions, hypertension. So that can induce a flare. Another common medication is hydroxychloroquine, also known as Plaquenil. That's used to treat certain autoimmune disorders That's known to cause a flare and, believe it or not, prednisone, which is an oral corticosteroid. Ironically enough, we use prednisone to treat inflammatory conditions, but when we use it for psoriasis, it can help psoriasis initially, but as you withdraw the drug, it actually gives you a rebound effect where that psoriasis actually worsens than it was before. So you have to be really careful with certain drugs. There are some studies that show that certain foods can trigger psoriasis things like excessive alcohol intake and sometimes, sadly, caffeine. Caffeine can actually worsen psoriasis in certain patients. And other triggers, excessive weight gain, smoking, and believe it or not, weather changes. When it gets from hot to cold or cold to warm, we start seeing an influx of psoriasis patients coming in because they're starting to flare. So again, you want to know what your triggers are and you want to avoid them as much as possible.
1: So Tiersa, the question that goes through everyone's mind who's been diagnosed with psoriasis, is there a cure?
2: Unfortunately, no. There is no cure for psoriasis. However, there is an array of available treatments that do a fantastic job in getting psoriasis under control and keeping it under control. So although we don't have that cure
1: just yet, there is hope for amazing treatments for those patients that are suffering from psoriasis. Certainly always good to have hope. So While there isn't a cure for psoriasis, what's the overall approach to treating psoriasis? You mentioned medications, but what medications do you typically start with and why? So the
2: overall approach to treating psoriasis, when we have a patient with psoriasis, our goal is to, number one, we want to reduce inflammation. Number two, we want to reduce the symptoms of psoriasis. And number three, we always want to improve the quality of the life of our patients that are suffering from psoriasis. It's important to understand the overall nature of psoriasis. As I mentioned previously, psoriasis is a result of an overactive immune system, right? It creates inflammation throughout the whole entire body. It releases like certain inflammatory proteins called cytokines that contributes to that inflammation. So the goal of treatment is to reduce inflammation on the skin and really throughout the whole body, right? Systemically. So we can achieve this with a variety of treatments and how do we choose what medication for what patient that really depends on a few things it really depends on the severity of the disease and also depends on the preference of treatment for that particular patient so what do we start with we typically start with topicals right so someone comes in with maybe like a mild case of psoriasis mild to maybe moderate and they've never done anything before we can certainly try with some topical creams, gels, foams. Usually these are steroid creams because steroid creams helps to reduce inflammation. There's also non-steroidal creams, especially in the last couple of years, some new ones have come out in the market. Those non-steroidal creams are incredibly safe, and it's also better to use it in those highly sensitive areas like the face, under the breasts, and in the skin folds where if you use too much steroid creams, it can give you some side effects. So non-steroidal creams are more appropriate for these areas. We also use like topical vitamin D analogs for areas that are also vulnerable. And however, in patients with more moderate to severe cases, there are other treatment options such as light therapy. There are oral medications available and non-systemic drugs. So oral medications, there's a couple in the market now. There's patients out there that are really not interested in taking any type of like systemic drugs. So light therapy, like UVB, whether it's a handheld device or if it's a light box, like we like to call it, it's basically UVB therapy for those patients that want to try something other than traditional oral medications. Then in the last 25 to 30 years, the whole new class of treatment has been available. And these are known as the biologics biologics is sort of something that's become more mainstream. If you use that word biologic, I would say a lot of people know what they are, or at least have heard of it. But the biologics, these medications have completely revolutionized the way that we treat psoriasis. These class of drugs are incredibly efficacious. They're safe, and they definitely offer our patients long-lasting relief.
1: So you've already touched on the purpose of using medications to some extent. In general, how often will medications need to be used, and how long does it generally take before you find that it's not working and might need to switch to other medications?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So like I mentioned before, the purpose of the treatment is to manage the symptoms, improve the quality of life of our patients. The frequency of the medication really depends on which treatment the patient and the dermatologist have decided on. Our goal is to get our patients clear. So how often do we have to treat our patients? Well, it depends. So if you're doing oral medication, it's dosed every day or twice a day. If you're doing a biologic, there are some biologics that you have to inject yourself once a week, twice a week. Some of the newer biologics, you'd inject yourself only every eight weeks, every 12 weeks. So the frequency depends on which medication you choose. Now, when do you switch? When do you know that the medication is not working? Well. Luckily, in November 2016, an initiative was launched among the dermatology community, the American Academy of Dermatology, and the National Psoriasis Foundation, and they created the very first psoriasis treatment target. Essentially, what that did for us in the dermatology field is that it gave us parameters and goals that were created so that we knew when to say, yes, this medication is working well for our patients or no, this medication is not working and we need to switch. So basically the parameter said that our goal for our patients is we want to reduce the patient's psoriasis down to 1% BSA or less. BSA stands for body surface area. So what does that look like? If you look at your hand, the size of your hand represents 1%. That is the amount of psoriatic lesions that would be acceptable. So 1% or less. We can try to achieve this in three months with a new medication. Once the patient has reached that 1% goal, then you will follow up with your provider. It's for regular checkups to ensure that that goal continues to be met. But what if you don't meet that goal? So there is another goal that we will try to achieve if we can't get down to that 1% and that it would be 3% or less, and we want to achieve that after three months. However, if the patient has not achieved that, we can either wait and see, or we can talk about changing medications. So we want to wait three to six months. If it's been six months at most, and we have not achieved one to 3% BSA, that's when the conversation will switch over and say, okay, it's time to switch medication.
1: And Teresa, how easy is it to maintain treatment? We hear some people saying it's hard to follow a regime when they have to put on different creams and different ointments. And then the other question is cost. Like, how much will it cost? And are there patient assistant programs available to help with the cost of treatments?
2: Yes, treatment maintenance has actually become a lot easier in the last few years. You're right. Patients become very exhausted when they have to apply creams and lotions once, twice a day. It can be very tedious. But today, treating psoriasis can be as easy as swallowing a pill or injecting a medication every few months, where 25, 30 years ago, all we could offer our patients was creams and light therapy. That was it. So today, we do have so many different options that we did 20, 30 years ago. Now, the cost of the newer medications, yes, they can be very costly. However, fortunately, insurance companies have recognized the need and the benefit and the value of these drugs that these medications can bring to our patients. So coverage has actually become pretty widespread among most insurance companies. Now, for those who lack coverage or have no insurance, Pharmaceutical companies have patient assistant programs that can help patients pay for either co-pays, high deductibles, and in some cases, they will actually offer free treatment for those patients who
1: qualify. So good news. Another question that may run through someone's mind when prescribing new medication are side effects. Are there any side effects associated with medications for psoriasis that patients should be concerned about? Well, let me
2: preface this by saying that Any time you introduce a medication, any medication, there's always a risk of potential side effects. But like we like to say in the medical field, in the medical world, the question you want to ask yourself is, do the benefits outweigh the risks? Now, every class of medication has its own risks the potential side effects. So for example, steroid creams. If used inappropriately, there is a risk of thinning of the skin. Light therapy. If you use light therapy for months or even years, there is a risk of sunburn and eventually a risk of potential skin cancer. Oral medications, like for example, GoTesla. GoTesla has a risk of GI effects. So patients that may take this oral medication may experience something like loose stools, diarrhea, along those lines. That particular medication also has a warning for patients that suffer from depression and might exacerbate their symptoms. And then I mentioned the biologics, a newer class of drug. They're amazing drugs, but they also can carry a risk of side effects. Some of the older biologics that came into the market 25 years ago, they have a risk of infection and also a risk of malignancies, particularly like lymphoma. Now, some of the newer biologics, the new ones that come out into the market, they also have a risk of infection, risk of injection site reactions, but the risk of malignancies have significantly decreased. So potential side effects of these medications is definitely a legit concern, but I always encourage my patients, you know, let's talk about it. Let's see which treatment is best for you.
1: You're right. I mean, having that discussion about risks versus benefits seems so valuable. So could having other health conditions such as high blood pressure or diabetes impact psoriasis? So surprisingly, other medical
2: conditions such as high blood pressure, diabetes, yes, it can affect psoriasis. For one thing, let's talk about hypertension. So patients with psoriasis typically have a higher rate of high blood pressure compared to the general population. So what exactly is the link between psoriasis and hypertension? And that's one answer. It's inflammation, inflammation, systemic inflammation particularly patients with high blood pressure, they tend to have chronic inflammation of the blood vessels. And that is thought to contribute to hypertension, heart disease, stroke. So what we don't know is if psoriasis itself causes hypertension, or if the relationship is caused by other risk factors such as obesity, smoking, or diet. But the correlation is there. Now you mentioned diabetes. What about diabetes? So Diabetes and psoriasis are common comorbidities for each other. In other words, diabetes is a risk factor for psoriasis and psoriasis is a risk factor for diabetes. In fact, the higher BSA or the body surface area or the higher the severity of psoriasis, the higher likelihood or prevalence of diabetes exists for those patients. So how exactly are diabetes and psoriasis connected? Well, we know that there's four common denominators that connect diabetes and, and psoriasis. Number one, there is evidence that diabetes and psoriasis share common genes. Number two, inflammation again, chronic inflammation does more harm than good when patients are developing other conditions such as diabetes. A third one is environment. So diabetes and psoriasis is thought to be impacted by the environment. So environmental risk factors include uv exposure medication smoking diet obesity alcohol intake infections and that stress and then the last one is we know that there is a connection through insulin resistance so insulin resistance and inflammation are closely connected we have learned that inflammatory markers or proteins involved in the development of insulin resistance is dysregulated in patients with psoriasis so like hypertension the severity of psoriasis is associated with the likelihood of developing insulin resistance. It's very complicated, but that is the common denominator.
1: Thank you so much for explaining that connection. I know we've spoken a lot about prescribed medications, but I kind of want to switch over to possible use of over-the-counter products. Is it possible to use these types of products to help manage psoriasis? And if so, where can someone find a list of recommended products?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There is an array of available OTC or over-the-counter medications specifically for psoriasis available at any of your local retail stores. So for example, you want to purchase or use products that contain those classic ingredients to treat psoriasis. For example, cold tar. So cold tar found in creams and shampoos, it lessens the itching found in psoriasis. It helps reduce flaking. Reduces redness, swelling. It helps to reduce those rapidly growing cells that I had mentioned. So, that's a good one. Hydrocortisone. So, hydrocortisone is basically an over the counter steroid, especially while patients are waiting to get in to see their dermatologist. They can go get some hydrocortisone over the counter that helps to reduce itching, helps reduce inflammation. Another common ingredient that is found in over the counter products is salicylic acid. So, salicylic acid is great to remove or soften the scales that tends to build up, so it also helps to reduce swelling. So it definitely helps, especially as patients are waiting to get in to see their dermatologist. And you can find like a list of products that are safe and effective for psoriasis. If you look at the National Psoriasis Foundation website, there is an area that talks about the seal of recognition program. And that program gives you a long list of approved products that one can use over the counter to treat psoriasis.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So the seal of recognition program can be found at psoriasis.org forward slash seal hyphen of hyphen recognition. What should someone do if they have plaques on the face or the scalp? Is it okay to remove these plaques themselves?
2: Yeah, so scalp psoriasis is very common. In fact, lesions or plaques on the scalp may, in severe cases, it actually may extend downward from the scalp and onto the face. And in other severe cases, the plaques become very thick, and patients may be very tempted to try to pick or remove the plaques. However, we highly discourage patients from doing this, mostly because forcing the plaques to come off may cause trauma to that scalp or the face, and in turn, it may worsen psoriasis or induce a flare. And this has a name for it. This is actually called the Kevner phenomenon, where what that means is that wherever there is an injury, a wound, or a burn, or because something's been picked at, that can actually cause new lesions or plaques to arise in that same area. So this is why treating this area appropriately is highly encouraged, whether that be with shampoos, lotions, the oral medications I talked about, or even biologics.
1: And Teresa, do you have any recommendations for how to deal with the stairs? Negative comments that could occur with psoriasis particularly when plaques are visible and can be seen by others?
2: Yeah, coping with the stigma of psoriasis can be very painful. Psoriasis patients, they already pay a pretty hefty price, not only because of medication expenses and frequent doctor visits, but because of the emotional toll that it takes in trying to convince others and trying to convince the public that psoriasis is not contagious. So unlike other chronic conditions that you can hide, so if you have diabetes, unless you tell someone, no one's going to really know. So unlike those chronic conditions, psoriasis is very visible for all to see. So some strategies that a patient might be able to adopt to help with others who may not exactly know the facts of psoriasis, there's a couple things they can do. One of the more common things, which I think is actually very smart, you can quote unquote rehearse an answer when someone asks you. What is that on your leg or what is that on your arm or why does your scalp do that? You can kind of rehearse an answer. This way you don't feel panicked or distressed like you're put on the spot. So saying something very direct and simple like it's psoriasis, it's not contagious or psoriasis is an immune mediated disease. Just giving a small explanation and rehearsing that gives you that confidence to be able to deal with some of the questions that people may ask. You want to take control of the conversation too. So if you don't really want to talk about it or you've made your one-liner and you're done, then change the conversation. So just gaining control of the conversation helps a lot. Other tips is you want to minimize isolation as much as possible. So psoriasis patients tend to isolate themselves. So you want to be able to talk to friends and family and loved ones about how you feel and what you're dealing with and just staying connected also helps. Other tips too, when helping with some of the stigma is joining us psoriasis special events, community conferences. You can find tons of examples on the National Psoriasis Foundation website. And my last tip is see your dermatologist. You don't have to suffer. There are so plethora of treatments available. There's never really been a better time in our history to treat psoriasis successfully like today.
1: Thank you so much for that insightful response. It's such a great idea. I'd never thought of it before, but just to practice your response. So what's the best way to continue to learn about psoriasis? You mentioned it's important to receive education earlier. Yes.
2: Yeah, so one of the best ways to continue to learn more about psoriasis is keep connected with your healthcare provider. Keep your follow appointments. Don't skip out on those. Those are really important when you're there. Ask the questions that you need keep a journal of some of the symptoms that you're experiencing, or if you experience a lot of wax and waning in your symptoms, keep track of that and talk to your healthcare provider. Visit the National Psoriasis Foundation website, which is www.psoriasis.org. And at the end of the day, just be your own advocate.
1: Tirsa, we're almost at time here, but I just wanted to thank you for such great tips throughout this episode. It's clear you have a passion for education and for these patients. So I just appreciate you being here. Do you have any final comments you'd like to share with those who are newly diagnosed with psoriasis?
2: So my advice to patients that are new to psoriasis is learn. Learn as much as you can. The more knowledgeable you are, the better you can get at handling those tough moments. And it'll help you gain control of your condition. It'll help you gain the confidence that you need to deal with those tough days that may come about. And lastly is treat your condition I mean, no one wants psoriasis, but there has truly never been a better time in our history like today to treat psoriasis. The amount of treatments that are available, patients don't need to suffer. So go see your dermatologist, talk to your dermatologist about different treatment options, get treated so you can lead a happy and normal life.
1: Thank you, Tears Up, providing such a message of hope for those who are newly diagnosed. And you're right being informed and treating psoriasis is so important for overall health. Thank you. To continue our education journey and for more information about psoriasis or support through our one-to-one program, contact our patient navigation center by calling 800-723-9166 or by emailing education at psoriasis.org. And finally, if you know someone who's been
0: diagnosed recently, be sure to share this episode with them by sending the link. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Ghana, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.